You are listening to a teaching series from Jubilee Church entitled, The New You. This series attempts to capture the essence of the new life given to us by Jesus, one not mastered by mistakes of the past, but a life of ultimate joy, peace, and freedom. If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. What is the source of our optimism? What is the source of our optimism? Well, is it, you know, preaching? It's not, it's not preaching. Um, is it the programs that we run? No, it's, it's, not, it's not the programs we run. Uh, it certainly isn't my personality. Uh, it's certainly not any of those things. Uh, the confidence that we have is Ephesians 3.20. It says this. It says, Now to him... Now to him, so, okay, that's the reason. The reason why we have so, so much confidence is God. God is the reason, God is the focus, who by the power at work within us is able to do 25% of what we ask or think. Because I, that would be pretty good. If God did 25% of what I ask and what I think about, I would be ecstatic. But the source of confidence that we have is not uh, in our plans, practice, preaching, personality, programs, none of that. But his offer is more than 25%. It's more than 50%. It's even more than 100%. He says that God is able to do far more abundantly than we ask or think. Whatever you're thinking God is going to do, it's, it's more. It's just more. Now, that's not hype. I don't like hype. I stay away from hype. I probably undersell things at times just because I don't like hype. That's not hype. That is God saying he is far more abundantly. He is far, he's able to do far more abundantly than we can ever ask. Or think. In fact, I think some of us today, I think what God would want to speak to you today is just that right there. Just that word right now, that what God would have you absorb into your life is absorb into your thinking, absorb into your acting and engagement is that he wants you to know he wants to do more than whatever it is. Some of you came in saying, man, if I could just like have a solid, good marriage, a solid, good family life, then I'll be, I just want you to know he wants to do more than that. If, you know, if I, if, if I could just have some job security in my life, if I could just, you know, we, if I could just not stress about finances, that would be awesome. I just want you to know God wants to do way more than that. Some of you come in here, man, I, I want to make more spiritual things. Like, I just want to make an impact with my life. You know, I just want to affect one person. I just want to affect this person's life. I just want you to know. That God is able and he wants to do far more than you could ever think or imagine. And, and that is the source of our unbridled enthusiasm and optimism about what we think God can do in and through us. It has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with what God says he wants to do. Jesus Christ doesn't just want to change you. Here's the gr- good news. He wants to live through you. He just doesn't want you to have a better life. He wants you to live his life. 
And this is what Paul is, is bowing on his knees for us to understand. And what's really important for you and I to understand, so in this series of New You, okay, you, you're, you're a new believer, you're, you've got this new life, you're a Christian now, what are some things I need to know? One of the things you need to know is that there is a new power that you have access to. There's a new power that has, you have access to that goes well beyond, it goes well beyond your abilities, it goes well beyond your personality, it goes well beyond anything that you could ever hope or imagine because it is the power of God that's working inside of you. And what's really important for you to understand, uh, Christians, is that we are, we are not to be just those who just admire the life of Jesus. We are to be those who experience the life of Jesus. A non-Christian could admire the life of Jesus. Christians can uniquely not just admire the life of Jesus, but experience the life of Jesus. We can look at the life of Jesus. I mean, I, I know I've read, you've read what Jesus has done. I've read what he's done. And the miracles, the mercy, the love, the, the authority. And thought, wow, what an amazing life. And it's easy just to sit back and come and hear messages and, and fill our minds with knowledge. And think, wow, what an ama- we admire Jesus. And there's a sense to which... We are to do that. We are to give glory. In fact, that's where Paul ends with this doxology, which just means give glory to Jesus and how amazing he is. And we are to worship him. There is a sense where we do admire him. But the reality, it's meant to go beyond this admiration, but it's actually to go into the experiential level. How do we experience the life of Jesus? Well, it's through the power of of the Holy Spirit. And this is what Paul's prayers. Paul's prayers, I want you to come under the experience. I want you to know the height and the depth and the width and all of what God has for you. And it's going to have, that's why I'm praying for you that you would have the fullness of God, that you would have, you would experience this power of God. So when you look at what Jesus did, so it's like if we're supposed to experience the life of Jesus, well, how did Jesus pull everything off? How did he heal? How did he not sin? How did he not, how did he overcome temptation? How did he walk through that? How did he teach? How did he love? Many people think he cheated. You know, it's just like, you know, he had that, you know, he was Clark Kent with the Superman suit underneath. He was just, he cheated. He was just, because he was God. That's why he did it. He was God. He's God, he's God and I'm not. That's, that's why he was able to do it. And somehow we can dismiss that. Um, but Philippians 2, which we have here on the screen here for you, is so clear. It says this, who, this is Jesus Christ, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. That he, he, he yes, he, uh, he, he was God. He never stopped being God. But it's like he just kind of set that aside. It's like, I'm not going to access that. And he... He grew up just like you and me. He had to learn to walk. He had to learn obedience. He had to learn the Bible. He had to learn all the things that we have to learn. And he came under the same pressures that you and I had to. How do you do all that? Well, he did it through the power of the Holy Spirit. In Luke 1, Jesus is conceived by the Holy Spirit. A Christian is conceived by the Holy Spirit. John says, or excuse me, Jesus says in John 3 to Nicodemus, that whole interaction... Uh, in John 3, 5, he says, you must be born again. You must be born of the Spirit. Jesus was conceived by the Spirit. A Christian is conceived by the Spirit. At the baptism of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus to do ministry. In Acts 1, Jesus said, wait, wait for what? Wait for the Holy Spirit to descend upon you to do ministry. 
Ephesians 5 says, it is a command to us by Paul, if you look over a couple chapters. It just says, it says, do not be uh, drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Repeatedly, it says in the Bible that the hand of the Lord was upon Jesus. And that language, hand of a, the hand of the Lord being upon Jesus, is language of the Holy Spirit. God the Father is in heaven. God the Son is in earth. And God the Father puts his hand on the Son. And he says, he's the one. He's the chosen one. He's the anointed one. That's what it means to be the Christ. The Christ means uh, the anointed one. Uh, the Christ is the one the Father has put his hand upon. And the term that we use for you and I, Christian, means little Christ. That a Christian is to be these little anointed ones. Anointed by the Holy Spirit. Set apart as saints. Set apart as saints to be a new person to walk in a new power for a new purpose. You and I are not just simply to admire the life of Jesus. We're meant to experience the life of Jesus through the power of the Spirit. That power is no less than God himself. Like I said, Ephesians 5.18 says, Do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. So what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Well, what does it mean to be drunk with wine? Um, When you are drunk with wine or anything else, you are under the control of wine. Or you are the control of alcohol. Um, there is, I forget the guy's name. It was, it was kind of, this guy got arrested, uh, for public, um, intoxication. And it was on, it was on the news. It made the national news a few years back. And he said on the news, he says, I had the right to main, remain silent. I just didn't have the ability to do so. And so, cause he was under the control of alcohol and you do, you're not under, you're not, you're not in control you're under control of alcohol. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? It means that you're not in control, but you're under the control of the Spirit. And I've found that there are two main types of people um, when it comes to thoughts about the Spirit. There are the more kind of linear type A people who want to be in control, and then there are kind of the emotional uh, types who seek to be out of control, but life is not found in being in control, and life is not found in being out of control, but life is found in being under control of the Holy Spirit. That we are to live in this power. We are to live under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And my question is, is to you who are Christians here this morning. Do you, are you living under the influence of the Holy Spirit? Are you tapping into this power? Some say, well, what are you talking about? You know, I, I, don't, I don't pursue anything. I don't pursue the Spirit because, you know, like, I, I just believe that, you know, God, when you become a Christian, like, you just... You know, you just, you, you have everything and, um, you know, you just kind of, you know, it doesn't really matter. And there's some truth to that. I mean, Paul is, Paul tells us that in, in, Colossians, in Colossians 1, that, that in Christ, the, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And so if you're in Christ, you have this fullness of God. You know, Peter even says, hey, that as a Christian, you have everything you need for life and godliness. Even Paul in Ephesians 2, the chapter before uh, Ephesians 3, he says, when you become a Christian, when you are saved, when God took you out of darkness and put you in light, immediately he raised you up to heavenly places. Now, I don't know if you can get any closer to God than heavenly places. 
So there's a sense to where like we've got, we have all this access. And when we become a Christian, it's not like we're kind of half a Christian or we're partial. I mean, we're, we're a Christian the whole way and, and, there's, and there's access to anything. But yet, but we have Paul here saying like, um, I, I know you have fullness, but I'm praying that you would have more fullness. Which I know it sounds like a paradox, but welcome to the Bible. It says... And the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And so there seems to be this invitation from Scripture to like experience more and to know more and to, and to have more. And, and all I would say is like if, if you don't feel this morning, like whatever your theology is, if you don't feel this morning that you are under the influence of the Holy Spirit, I would say the invitation from Scripture is to receive more. It's like, I mean... I don't know if this analogy helps you. It helps me. So I think when you become a Christian, it's like God, like it, like God stocks your kitchen full of all the, any possible food that you could ever possibly want in unlimited quantities. I mean, all the steak you want, all the, you know, if, if you go the other way, all the tofu you want, I mean, whatever it is that you eat, whatever you want, whatever drink you want, God gives it to you in unlimited quantities. You have access, you everything you need for life and godliness. Um, but if you take that and keep going with that analogy, if you have a, a kitchen full of food, but you seem content to sit on the couch and you never actually get up off the couch and go access that food, eventually you'll shrivel and starve. And God has given us this access, no doubt about it. But don't be content to say, yeah, I've, God's given me everything, but never really accessing it, never really pursuing it, and never really walking it under. I had, um, I had kind of a, a convicting m- moment what, uh, a couple years ago. I was in Turkey, and we're sitting around this round table. And, uh, and I was talking to another American friend of mine about uh, social media strategies in the church. And, and as we were talking, I overheard another guy ask a question of this other man named Eddie Leo. And he said, so how many people have you seen raised from the dead this year? And the guy thought, and he said, four. And I'm sitting there counting likes on Facebook, and he's counting how many people were raised from the dead. And I'm sitting there thinking like, okay, there's, there's a power. There's a power that I'm not pursuing. And is he somehow a better Christian than I am? Absolutely not. We're both in heavenly places. We're both in Christ. We're both loved. We're, we both have the same status. In fact, we have the same access. We have the same kitchen full of food. One of us decided to get off the couch and go get some. And one of us decided to stay on the couch and be content with what he had. And the invitation from scriptures is, man, there's a fullness that he wants you to experience. There's a power he wants you to experience, and it's found in the Holy Spirit. So don't be foolish. Don't be fo- don't get don't if you're more of the emotional side and don't don't live meeting the meeting. Don't live like I feel close to God. I don't feel close to God. I feel close to God. don't don't live that way. Know that you're in Christ. Know that you're seated in heavenly places. Know that you are uh, eternally loved. It says it in the scripture. We're not experience-based. We're scripture-based. We, we stay in the word of God. However, on the other side of things, don't 
for those of you who just, you know, who stay in this cerebral realm, um, you too are experience-based. You, you judge things based off your uh, experience, and so you, you don't pursue things that you don't understand. You don't pursue things you don't know, even things that are in the scriptures. And so don't be foolish. If, you, if you're not walking in, in, in power, if you're not walking in the fullness of love, the fullness of courage, uh, the fullness of gifting, the fullness of all the things that God has for you, and, you're, and there's something you're like, I want more. Well, the good news is, is Paul saying, hey, you can have this. Well, how do we have this? Well, how do we access? Well, we ask for it. Um, in Luke eleven thirteen, Jesus says, If then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly, will the heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And then Jesus says in John 7, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Speaking of the Holy Spirit. So anyone who just wants this, who wants to say, and this isn't, I want more of God. You know, I want to be like Paul who's, who's, not, who's not resting in where he's at, but he's pressing on to know him more. If you want to know more of his love, if you want to know more of his power, he's like, well, come and just ask for it. And that's what Paul's doing here. Paul is asking for it. Now, he's not asking it for himself, but he's interceding on behalf of the people that he loves. He's praying for them to know this. This is a great prayer to pray for people, to intercede for them, that they would know the full power of the Spirit, that they would know the height of his love, the depth of his love, the width of his love, the length of his love, through the power of the Spirit. Paul is asking on behalf of the people he loves. And just, let me just say this as a bit of a side note. Um, Paul prays for the church because he loves his church. And I want to encourage you uh, to pray for your church if you love your church. Um, it was amazing to me. I mean, this is what he does. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family on heaven on earth is named that according to the riches of his glory that he may grant you to be strengthened with power in the Spirit. That Jesus modeled for us a life of prayer. And Paul here is saying, hey, if, you know, I love this church. I want to pray for this church. I just want to encourage you, if you love this church, to pray for this church. Um, what's amazing to me here, too, is Paul's in prison. And he's not like in, you know, like the Clayton County Jail. I mean, he's in a hole in the ground. He's in a hole in the ground with other, who knows how many other men. And there are no bathrooms. Use your imagination. There are, or don't use your imagination, I should say. Uh, uh, you, food and water, limited supply. I mean, just disease-ridden place. And somewhere in the context of this hole with all these other men, he found the place and the opportunity to bend his knees and pray. It's just a humbling example of a man who loves people. I just, I want to, I want to be on that example. I want, I want to um, follow that example. Um, I don't want obstacles to get in the way. I mean, he had some pretty significant obstacles to keep him from praying, but he prayed. And I just want to encourage you to do the same thing. Be, be a person who prays for your church. We're going to gather, regardless of your habits, if you've never prayed for your church, if you don't know even how to do that, we, we gather uh, 
uh, throughout the year to pray in here in uh, September 7th through 11th. We're going to have a week of prayer. If you're in a group, go gather during the week when your group gathers. Uh, but for all of us and all the locations are gathered here on that Friday night, uh, September 11th. And why should you do that? Well, you should do that because you love your church. Now, some would push back and say, well, I don't love my church. This, my church does this wrong. My church does that wrong. Well, you should pray even more. If we're doing a lot of things wrong, it means that we need lots of prayer. So that's another reason to pray and say, well, you know what, Brian, I'm new to church and like, I really love Jesus, but I hate the church. Well, Jesus says to love your enemies. And so you should pray. You should pray. Here, here's the point. There's no way, if you want to argue with the Bible about whether or not you should pray, you're just going to lose. And so, um, and the point is, though, I don't want anyone to do this out of, of guilt, but of gladness. I don't want anyone to do this out of legalism, but love. But just to encourage you to say, hey, if you want to participate in, in seeing God do all that, excuse me, to seeing God doing more than we could ever hope to imagine. Part of that is getting on our knees and praying. For this reason, Paul gathered, Paul got on his knees and he prayed that through the power of the Spirit that, that God would do more than we could ever hope or imagine. And when we gather to pray, we want to pray the same way. We want to intercede for ourselves. We want to intercede for our city. We want to intercede for people that don't know them. We want to get on our knees and pray, Father, we pray that the people of this city would know the height and depth of your love through the power of the Holy Spirit. And now one of the reasons why we don't pray is, that, is we're not very good at it. And I don't know about you, but I'm very encouraged that the Bible understands that we're not good at it. And that's why, again, we need this power. It says in Romans eight twenty six, Paul writes, he says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not even know how to pray as we ought. The Bible just comes out and says it. So we're saying, I don't even know how to pray. That's one of the reasons why I got to press into more power. He says, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep. So the Spirit's going to help us. Pray. As we lean into God, as we lean into him, we'll get help through the filling of the Spirit. And we can we'll approach him boldly in prayer if we know two things about God. One is we know him as a father. We know that he loves us. And if we know that he's in control. And that's what he says here. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the father. And there's all kinds of words that you, we can use to describe God that he's omniscient, he's all-powerful, all-knowing. And the Bible uses those very distinct words, but he also, they also use very like, poetic words to help us understand that he's a warrior, um, uh, that he's a father, that he's a shepherd. This doesn't mean that he's... I mean, I don't expect to go to heaven and see Jesus like with a shepherd's staff and a bunch of... Sh- I don't... That's not... He's not a shepherd, but he's like a shepherd. And here it says that God is a father. He wants us to understand that he's someone... Who, that we have this intimate relationship from whom every family on heaven and earth is named. That he is, he's a loving father and he's in control of everything. And so we can pursue him in prayer and ask him for these things if we know that God loves us and we know that he is uh, in control. And I love how it ends. It says, To him be the glory in the church and Christ Jesus throughout all generations. What that is, is a doxology. It's what's called a doxology. And we all have a doxology. A doxology is just something that we ascribe glory to. We all have that inside of us. The glory of God is in his greatness. And when your heart breaks out, glory to God. When, you, when, you see, when you're in worship, and you're like, man, God is great. That's a doxology. It's like a football team carrying the coach off at the end of a game. It's like a standing ovation at a baseball game. It's like, you know, a curtain call at a concert. 
Uh, and this is in the heart of every person, is to sing a doxology. And we may sing it to athletes, we may sing it to TV shows, we may sing it to uh, movie stars, we may sing it to creation or technology more than we do with God. But one of the things that happens, as our hearts get full of power, we begin to scream out this doxology for God to be glorified. For Him be glory in the church. The church is this unique place where we get this opportunity uh, to reflect who God is. That we are this reflection. Like the universal church, of course, is this one big reflection of who God is. But as we are part of that Jubilee Church, wanting to reflect the glory of God. And we'll only fully reflect the glory of God, though, is if we are committed to living out this life that He has for us. So we're committed to living out His power so that His glory in the church, in Christ Jesus, throughout all generations. We have before us just amazing, amazing opportunities. And we're just going to swing and miss if we try to go out and do this in our own strength. But the good news that God has for us isn't that we have to rely on our power, but he has a new power for us. It's found in the Holy Spirit, and it's as simple as asking for it. Um, God isn't going to make you beg. God isn't going to make you um, cry. He's not going to make you grovel. But he's a good God. He wants to give you good things. And if you're here this morning and you're like, man, I just don't, I feel powerless. I feel like I can't overcome sin. I feel like I don't love people the way I want to love people. I, I feel like I, I don't have boldness in my witness. I feel like I shrink back all the time. I feel like there's really nothing. God God doesn't want to say, well, you know, well, you're down here and this person's up here. That's not what he wants to do. The Bible doesn't want to do that. I, God doesn't want to do that. I don't want to do it. But what the Bible wants to say is like, hey, if you want more of God, you can have more of God. Come, come receive that. Paul's praying. Paul, Paul's praying for them and, and through the way scripture works, he's praying for us. His prayer for you this morning. If you're a Bible lover, his prayer for you this morning is that you may f- be filled more fully through the power of the Spirit.